This is Footy Time with Johnny Raff. Welcome to the show. Dan is not with us today, but we're going to carry on and uh, make sure we cover some of the key things that happened over round three in the 2022 AFL season. We're underway now. The season is starting to take shape. I mean, it's still in its infant stages, but we are starting to see which teams mean business, which teams might be on the cusp of making the eight, and which teams may have blown their chance already. Uh, I know it's only round three, and there's plenty of the season to go to catch up and make things right, but it's hard. It can be very, very hard to come back from zip and three, as we know. I think your chances of making the eight go considerably down after you yeah, miss those chances to, to bank a win early. Uh, don't write anyone off. I'm, I wouldn't even put a line through anyone yet, but it's it's going to be mighty difficult for some of these teams, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, first thing I wanted to talk about today is the Carlton and Hawthorne game yesterday. Uh, what a magnificent contest this was. Uh, I think in that first quarter, Carlton were playing some of the best football I think anyone's played so far this year. You've just got a team that really looks settled and improvers that have come out of nowhere, really. I mean, you look at, we've spoken about Matthew Kennedy. I really <laughs> had to remember that he actually didn't start at Carlton. He was a, a trade, I think, from the Giants back in 2017 or something like that. Uh, and I think he was more just your, your, your goal sneak, uh, nippy, forward pocket type, but uh, he's turned into a full-time midfielder and he's had a massive preseason. He's playing just lights out at the moment. Uh, I'm really loving watching him at the moment. Will Setterfield's found himself a nice a nice role, like it's just a solid contributor to that midfield. Obviously, Chera was the big inclusion. Hewitt has been an amazing pickup. Uh, it's not just about Paddy Cripps, that's, and as well as Cripps is playing. that It's not just about Paddy. We're really seeing... Some solid contributors, and I don't want to. I don't want to compare this to the Melbourne side of last year, but there is a real feeling of that side where there wasn't just the performances of Christian Petrarca, Clayton Oliver, Max Gorn being back to his best, or uh, you know Stephen May, Jake Lever having a good cohesion, and the, the zone system being perfected and yeah, working at its best. You've got. The contributors that came really out of nowhere. Jaden Hunt started very well. Uh, Christian Salem was obviously as good as he always is. Uh, Ed Langton took his game to another level. Angus Brayshaw uh, moulded himself into another role that it wasn't natural to him, but he ended up playing it very, very well, and it was a big reason why they won the flag. You had Luke Jackson going from strength to strength. You had Trent Rivers. You had all the other uh, guys like Lock, Lockman... Yeah, Adam Tomlinson was playing his part until he got injured. Then Petty came in. You had these, you had a bunch of guys, maybe half a dozen guys come in and all of a sudden enter their, their prime. They, they were in career best form. The same thing's happening with Carlton right now. I look at those names that I just mentioned, you know, your, your Hewitts, Kennedy, Setterfields. Uh, uh, these guys uh, have just found themselves. Uh, Mitch McGovern. Mitch McGovern's found himself a role and is an intercepting defender, is proving to be very, very important. Uh, he's also really seems to suit the style of guys like Saad and, and Newman. Uh, I look at guys like 
Lockie Plowman. Last year, Plowman looked like he didn't know what he was doing on the field at all. I mean, there was so much vision of Carlton defending in transition where Plowman would be looking over the wrong shoulder where the ball was and didn't know where his man was. And he just honestly just looked like he didn't know how to play the game. He's now looking like a guy who knows his role and is playing to the best of his ability. He just looks like a different player. And it's been an amazing change. I think they deserve a lot of credit. It's only three wins, but that was a very, very big win for the Carlton Footy Club. Those are the ones that people look at. Those are the ones where people say, look, you've got a young team. You've got a, you've, you've got a, a playing style that's working, but can it stand up when the going gets tough? I know it's Hawthorne. No slouches this, so far this season either, but uh, you know it's not a top four team of last year. But... Those are the ones you hang your hat on going forward. Those are the ones you, you remember when you look back at seasons. You think, geez, that game, you know, we were down and out. Hawthorne were charging back. That's a real, real feather in our cap, that one. And we can definitely build on that. It's not the most complex game plan from Carlton when you, when you look at it. It's, you know, make sure you defend, get the ball forward to contests. Uh, if you're the one, getting to the ground ball, make sure your teammate needs to make sure that they're making an option you know, to the side. So if a player's on the, on the floor, get a quick handball out and they're there for the handball receive and they're, in, and they're moving. There's not stationary. So everything's in constant motion. I really like it. It's a, it's a well-oiled machine right now. Um, I heard Nathan Buckley say that he's, it seemed like Carlton had been playing Jack in the Pack all summer when you were looking at their intentions to always kick it you know, medium to long kicks to contests and uh, their, their confidence in their self to make sure they were getting to the to the fall of the ball and things like that and keep that ball moving. It's great to see. And, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel sometimes. you just got to do those fundamental things to the best of your ability. And when we looked at Carlton last year, it honestly did feel like the thing holding them back was that defensive structure and system, the organisation, uh, it kind of felt like it was costing them about two or three goals a game. And there were a lot of games where Carlton were only losing by about, yeah, you know, 18 to 30 points. And they could be right in those games. Had they pinched a few more wins, they would have played finals. So they weren't, they were closer than people thought. They were definitely closer than people thought. I'd like to quickly talk about the Hawthorne side of things as well, because they weren't, they weren't bad. I mean, they did start a bit slow, but. Uh, they charged back and they've got the mentality to take the game on and it, it can be fun to watch. But I really have taken a liking to Dylan Moore. I think he is just, he is the typical small forward. He's just, he's super fast. He's, he's one of those, uh, guys who will maybe end up in the midfield as a, you know, a traditional rover type and just an absolute pain for the opposition. Uh, I would hate to be a defender. <laughs> trying to play on Dylan Moore because he's just uh, he's a, a real shaken baker. He's just very, very hard to, to keep a handle on. Uh, I thought he was absolutely sensational against Port last week, uh, but yesterday he was fantastic as well. He had 21 touches, nine marks and two goals. Uh, he's still very, very young. I, think he, I don't think he's played 50 games yet, but uh, he's a very, very good member of that Hawks forward line going forward and you definitely want to have one of these guys. They're not actually as easy to find as, as people think they are. It's not just a matter of uh, drafting a, a small from the draft who 
has uh, very good speed over the 30 meter test or you know it, it's not the um it's not a an exact science it's it's hard to draft for that position so when you've got them uh they're worth their weight in gold and i think dylan moore is going to be a very important player for the hawks going forward Let's move on to Saturday night at the MCG. Uh, we covered this off on the recap so far yesterday, but I uh, wanted to quickly go through it again because it was such an amazing match to watch uh, as a neutral. It's the Collingwood-Geelong game. Wow. They just never gave up the Cats. 37 points down, looking just slow, tired, uh, just, just really lumbering around and off the pace. They just turned that all around in the fourth quarter it got a great start when they when Mitch Duncan drilled that that tight angle shot and got the head of steam up. But they just I don't know how they did it. They, but it was their their smarts, their their experience and their smarts really came to the fore and they ended up making Collingwood look a bit slower uh, because of I guess a different well, not because of sheer speed, but just because of their ability to make decisions quickly. I thought this was a fantastic game, as mentioned. Uh, there was just so much pressure around the contest from both sides. The ball was, it was a hot potato. There was no easy possessions in that last quarter. Uh, the little flicks were really important to advantage. Uh, and Jeremy Cameron, I mean, he's just an instinctive forward. He's, he's very fun to watch when he's like this. I think when he, when he plays this kind of game, he legitimately looks like the best player in the competition. He's just that smart at where the ball is in flight and exactly what to do I think on the the, the second last goal I'm not quite sure but the one that got them within about 12 points uh you could just see where his eyes were and where the I can't remember who the defender was whether it was I don't think it was Ginevan I think it may have been um the query I'm, I'm not sure but uh his eyes reacted just that little bit quicker than the Collingwood defender uh, when that ball sort of was coming over the top and it, it just spilt to the back of the pack and, and Cameron was just right onto it. And as soon as he was, I just thought to myself, oh, he, yeah, Cameron's at the back here. He's going to, he's going to score. And he did. And, and it's just fun to watch this type of player. I mean, when you have that in your team, it's kind of like all you need to do is put it, the ball in their vicinity and you know that they'll score. You know, they'll kick a goal. How they do it is. <laughs> you know, up to them. But yeah, it was kind of like, it reminded me of, it does in a way remind me a little bit of the days of of Wayne Carey and Gary Ablett when it felt like that. It felt like if you were, you know, on a bit of a roll and you were winning some clearances, you just needed to put the ball in their vicinity. It didn't have to be lace out. You just had to get it in there quick and they'd do the rest. (laughs) There's a little bit about that with Cameron. I mean, I know uh, he doesn't have the the cleanest record, I guess, with injuries and that. He, He can you know, be susceptible to the odd soft tissue injury. But, uh, yeah, when he's playing like this, he's unstoppable. And that was really fun to watch. Um, the speed off the mark as well. That That's something that you just – well, I'm not going to say you can't teach it. I mean, they do work on this a lot in preseason, obviously, you know, when you're doing your, your, uh, your repeat sprints and all that. But, yeah, it's just – that's when it comes to the forward. It, it, you get that speed, you speed off the mark, that split second, Collingwood defenders don't even realise, and they end up three or four metres behind him. <laughs> He's just beat, beating them to the punch 
that quickly. And that's what this is all about. It's about moving at the right time as a key forward and making the most of your chances. It's, it's not always about, uh, you know, outbodying or, you know, pack marks and things like that. Sometimes it really is just about pure footy smarts and just making a move when it's the right time to make a move, making it that split second earlier or that split second off predictable behavior, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was that was really good from from Jeremy Cameron. For Collingwood, uh, it, it was a bit of a missed opportunity, but I, if I was a Collingwood fan, I wouldn't be looking at that game and being too downhearted. I think you'd be ultimately very, very encouraged by that performance and the direction that your footy club's going in. Uh, you know, McRae's brought this different philosophy and it looks like a lot of these players are enjoying that philosophy. They're enjoying playing to that style. And I, th- I think a lot of those players, like uh, Jordan Goey and Majek, uh Elliot, I think they're enjoying getting a lot more looks at goal. Whether they're the best looks at goal is different, but I think they're enjoying seeing the ball up there a bit more getting a few more entries and just, um, I guess, that manic style, that bash and crash. And um, I think McRae's mentioned uh, embracing the imperfections of the game. I think it's good. It it takes the heat off a little bit. It's not about being perfect. It's about just getting that ball in there and (laughs) figuring it out later. So I think that was was impressive. What they did to get that lead was very impressive, I thought. Uh, just It's just the surge mentality, get that ball forward. Get to those contests. Get more numbers to the contest. Make sure you're there. Make sure there's options. Uh, make it a nightmare for defenders. The way they get their zone structure in place is something that you would have worked on all summer. And it's looking good. It's very hard to defend. It's very hard to to go down the line with the ball against the Pies at the moment. Uh, the ground just, I guess, they make the ground feel a bit smaller at the moment. And... They're happy to get those stoppages. They're happy to get a ball up or a, a better throw in the wing. And, and they're backing themselves to win out of those stoppages and, and just get the ball to advantage and really wear the other team down. I mean, it is a very taxing style, as we know, but they, you know, it's hard to play against as well when a side's doing that. Uh, if you're doing a lot of running without the ball, you do more running without the ball than you do with the ball. And... Yeah, look, I guess in the end they did sort of run out of steam a little bit, but they were very, very brave to get to that point. I I, I was a little bit, not disappointed, but I thought they kind of went into their shell a little bit too quickly. Uh, When Geelong kicked those first two in the last quarter, they just seemed to go into self-preservation mode very quickly. They had literally not kicked sideways I felt they barely kicked sideways or backwards all game and then in that last quarter out came the chipping sideways out came the you know let's retreat backwards let's uh you know soak up some time slow the game down a bit and there's nothing wrong with this there's always a time and place to slow the game down and play tempo footy but I just feel like the style that Collingwood are aiming to uh to emulate this year is it's something you've got to be all or nothing in, I think. It's really like you've got to not be afraid. You've got to go – you've got to have dare. And I just felt, you know, a quarter in AFL football is quite long, especially since we've gone back to the 20-minute quarters. I've I've remembered just how difficult 
it can be to play out a quarter of football sometimes and how how long it is and <laughs> a lot can happen in that one quarter of football. As we saw in the grand final last year, I think that third quarter in the grand final of 2021 felt like one of the longest quarters I've ever seen in footy and just so much. It was just a, it was a tale of two quarters. So we know that this can happen and we know that when you've got a five-goal lead at three-quarter time, yeah, look, most of the time it probably is a winning lead, but it's not. At the end of the day, it's not. You still have to play out the, the full four quarters and you don't have to do it perfectly, but you've got to do enough. I've always had this belief that an AFL side should never go goalless in a quarter of footy. Now, it can be a bit harsh, but I just feel like if you want to be a good side, you've at very least got to put a goal on the board. I just think it's a psychological thing. If you're going more than a quarter without scoring a goal in footy, I just feel that is a very, very negative thing for the mindset and the team mindset. So I think that had Collingwood just kept that at front of mind, you know, they let's look, Geelong have kicked the first goal of the quarter. We need to keep playing football. We need to keep getting the ball into the 50, making chances, get this, you know, get, just get a, a settling goal on the board. That's what we need to get. We need to get that. And it's a game of psychology. It's a game of momentum. You know, Geelong would be put back in their place for a little bit. Maybe they would have kept coming. But the fact of the matter was Collingwood would have shown themselves we can still score. In that last quarter, they probably didn't feel like that. They probably felt like, where's the next goal going to come from? Can we actually do it? Are we going to kick a goal for the rest of the game? And when those thoughts come into your head, it's not a good place to be. So that's just my thoughts, and that's an armchair expert's thoughts as well. But I just felt like they kind of reverted to that that way and we know that Geelong can hurt us so let's just try and keep the ball off them as I said but I don't think that they I just don't think it helped and look as I said yesterday there's always a time and a place to to play that style that you're going to need it you need a lot of different tricks in your in your uh, in your kit but I think they'll learn a lot from this and when to to adopt that style when when to slow it down, when to speed it up. But uh, this moment was probably going to come and it's a good, you got to embrace the learning experiences. You learn a lot more from losses sometimes than you do from wins. And I think Collingwood will be very good for this in the long run. I'm looking forward to seeing how they respond. But it was a great game of footy. They definitely didn't lose any fans from it. And yeah, well done to the Cats, well done to Joel Selwood. Excellent achievement. I don't know if that achievement will be broken, to be honest. I think it's going to be a very, very tough uh, tough record to beat. It'll take a lot of beating. Moving right along up to Brisbane on Saturday night. Was it? Yes, it was Saturday night. A drubbing of North Melbourne. A lot of questions to be asked. Can they navigate through this? We've seen this happen before. A lot of blips happen in a rebuild and you do see a response Often, sometimes you don't, <laughs> but you do see a response. I think in the next few weeks we'll see a lot of different things tried with North, but it is a massive wake-up call. You can't be accepting that sort of performance when you are trying to build a football club and build a culture of, of winning. So it was disappointing. It was very disappointing, but uh, I think this still is a – a time when you need to trust the process that they're going through. We haven't seen a lot 
of improvement yet from North and we haven't seen a lot of, I guess, that's the future. That's the that's where the next premiership's going to come from. Uh, they've been look, they've been a bit underwhelming. I mean, they only just got over West Coast with uh, you know a bunch of replacement players. Uh, but the, you know, this is not one of these situations where you'd say, is this a team that's not going to win a game this year? Or even though they have won a game, but is this a team that's going to be like one of the worst wooden spooners ever? No, I don't think that with North at all. I think that we'll see a lot of glimpses soon for you know, the future, some players will really start to show some promise. But look, they, they were missing Taron Thomas, I guess. But, you know, you do want to see, as a North Melbourne fan, you'd like to see a few more uh, future leaders emerge, I guess, of this footy club. And who's going to take those places of the guys that are going to get transitioned out soon? Uh, you know, guys like the Ben Cunningtons and... Uh, yeah, just these guys that have been just loyal servants of the club. Who's going to be taking their place? Who's going to be the the ones that lead the way? The ones that lead by example. Uh, so I think we're a little bit off seeing that, but uh, I think you'll definitely see more of this soon. It's not panic stations. It's not great. No one wants to lose by 100 points in any game. Uh, but I think it's something that you know we need to just cooler jets a little bit and just see what they can offer. What What's the response? I think this is one of those things. What's the response next week? That's what you need to be focusing on. I wanted to talk about this man, Lockie Neal. Is he back? Is, is he back to that Brownlow best? I mean, we've been talking a lot about Paddy Cripps and, and Christian Petrarca in these first few games. Geez, I reckon Lockie Neal would have a few Brownlow votes by now as well. He is, we, we know the guy is a gun, but I've been impressed by what I've been seeing from Lockie. It wasn't a great season last year, interrupted with injuries, interrupted with all sorts of stuff. And then he had the sideshow over the trade period, which got nipped in the bud very quickly, but it wasn't easy to deal with that stuff, I'm sure. But I think he's the complete midfielder. I mean, we all know about his contested ability, his positioning around the contest. That's something that, you know, doesn't get talked about a lot. But the way he positions his body at contests and uh, is able to to be that option or just know where that ball's going to land from a ball up or something like that. He's in the elite category of that. But he also uses it really well too. When he gets that space and spreads from contest to contest, he's very good at – he's very smart with his kicks – and he'll put it to advantage for his uh, forwards like the Charlie Camerons and the, uh, the Zach Baileys and you know, all these these guys. If there is one blight on his game, it might be sort of, I guess, in the aerial aspect of the game. I mean, he's never going to be a guy that takes packed marks or anything. And there are some, I guess, tall midfielders in the comp that are uh, you know very good at that. You know, you look at your Marcus Bontempelli's, Paddy Cripps's, uh you know, very good overhead. Oh, oh, Lockie Neal's never going to be that kind of person that consistently clunks the ball in a contest overhead. He's not terrible at it, but um, I definitely think that he's very good at what he does. And he sometimes gets maybe seen as a bit more of an accumulator. Uh, I'm guilty of that myself, seeing what he does. You know, he's a ball magnet, but uh, is he just racking up stats? You know, <laughs> it's definitely much, it's not that. He's definitely doing a lot more than getting inflated stats. When you look at the inside 50s, he racks up each game and the dangerous positions he gets to around the ground when he gets the ball. Um, 
it means that, you know, he's both, well, A, not simply an accumulator, and B, just a player that works his absolute butt off to get into those positions and get it to the guys that can be dangerous. I mean, those guys are just, they're worth their weight in gold at the moment. I mean, I said it last week or the week before that the goal-kicking midfielder has always been, I guess, the multiplier, the, the game changer for a team is that you've, if you've got a midfielder that kicks goals, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. But I think almost just as much to have that player that just rides shotgun all game and runs up and down, up and down. I think Adam Trelaw is probably the best in the league at doing it. Two-way running, getting forward for an option, but getting back to defend, helping out a mate. I just think that that is the current day worth its weight in gold midfielder. And, it, you know, if you can't at least do it to an adequate level, you're gone in the game at the moment. I mean, not everyone's going to be able to do it to the level of the, the players I've just mentioned or, the, you know, the guys like the, the, the Tuke Millers. Uh, you know, still side bottom is an incredibly underrated runner two ways. Not everyone can do that all game. Running is hard, really. When it comes down to it, running is a very hard thing to do consistently. <laughs> and uh, that's why not everyone does it. But you've got to at least be doing it to a level that is acceptable. And I don't know exactly what acceptable is, but I think you need to be doing it nine times out of ten. That's a good start. You live and die by the three. Round three, that is. I feel that when you go from round two to round three, it's a big jump in terms of the fortunes for the rest of the year. And I think the jump between round three and round four is even bigger. This is where the season starts. It starts after round three. Since 2012, I've now got the stat that I didn't have earlier. (laughs) Since 2012, there are just 7% of teams who have gone naught and three and made it into the top eight. Now, this does not mean it's not possible. The Greater Western Sydney Giants did it last year and they made it to the semifinals. So it can be done, but it is exponentially harder to make it when you get to this point, which is very early still. So... Do we put a line through any of these teams? Essendon, West Coast, Port Adelaide. I'm going to say no, but it's going to be a very long way back. A very long way back. Uh, Even a win for any of those sides in round four is really just going to allow them to live to fight another day. It doesn't really mean that much it will only mean something if they can string a few wins together out of it because they have got a lot of ground to make up Essendon's got Adelaide this Sunday at Marvel so it is a game that they should be really up for Uh, Adelaide's coming off a great win in the showdown but Essendon should really be looking to give everything to that and yeah like I said just one day at a time get it back on track uh, we look at Port Adelaide, who face the D's this Thursday night. There is no better opportunity to turn a season around in one game than this one. 
It is a six-day break from the showdown. They don't have to wait too long to get back out there and show what they're made of. This could go either way for the power, I reckon. They can come out and come all guns blazing, put together a great performance, knock off the reigning premiers, and you can take that momentum. That That is an eight-point game. That is an eight-point game. If they can get it in front of their fans at home, you get that belief happening again. You get the pressure off Ken Hinckley's back. I think that th- they really have a chance. It wouldn't turn it around completely, but it would very much restore the hope in Port and show that there's still a lot to play for this season. So can they do that? <laughs> if they return to form and have an honourable loss against Melbourne, it, you... I think they need to win it. I think they need to win this one. I don't think a loss will, will be good enough, even if it is a good performance. Because Norton 4, that's definitely it, as far as I'm concerned. You just can't come back from Norton 4. Not in this competition. So if they can do something like that, and, you know, <laughs> I, I definitely hope not, but if they can, then there's no better place to make a statement this Thursday night at Adelaide Oval. And we look at West Coast. I think West Coast is the closest to putting a line through at this point. And obviously, we've heard about all the struggles they've had. And they've just been doing it with both hands tied behind their back, really. They face Collingwood this Saturday. And I believe that's at the MCG. That's a tough one. That's a real tough one. Because, you know, you've got a Collingwood team that's now had the taste of winning and nearly had the taste of winning again for a third week in a row and... Yeah, they'll they'll be ticked off. They will be ticked off. They were, uh, they had the chance, and that is probably burning in the guts for a few days. So, I'd expect them to be coming out firing. The Eagles, jeez, it looks like they are going to have a few guys return, like Luke Shuey, Willie Rioli. But is it enough? Is it enough for the Eagles to get some continuity happening in their game? Um, Elliot Yo and Tim Kelly are still going to be out. I just don't think that they can play anywhere near their best without someone like Tim Kelly. So I'd be back in the pies in that one. I think they'll go three and one. And yeah, <laughs> it's, it's going to be very hard to back the Eagles from, from here on out. And it's a, it's a really tough time of the season to be writing the season off. I only know this only too well as a Melbourne fan. It's all well and good when you, you find you have this realization in the middle of the year, but if it's up to round four, you've just got a lot of football to be played, and you, you can't be um, you can't be hoping that you know they'll be taking it easy. We're not going to use that T word, but you don't want to hope that they're going to take it easy. You still want to see some growth. You want still want to see some youngsters doing well, and you still want to build a winning mentality as well, even if you are going to be a cellar dweller for a while. But uh, yeah, it's not a great place to be. Um, so. I'll give them one more chance. And if they do find a way to knock off the pies, then who knows? But I don't know. That one's going to be a very tough one. Very, very tough one. Uh, but let's look at the flip side of it. Let's look at the, the other end of the ladder. And which of these sides, without getting ahead of ourselves, could maybe be not in the box seat, but uh, almost... At a point where you think, let's just say, almost at a point where you would be kind of surprised if they missed the eight. 
very dangerous exercise that I'm pulling here, but uh, I think that just looking at it now, I look at Brisbane and Melbourne, and I think let's let's play this with a very conservative bet. Those two teams should play finals. I think so. Now, someone will take it a step further and say those two teams should be top four. I don't like doing that just yet. It is a long season. It's been three games. I think that those two teams should definitely play finals. I think there's no reason why they shouldn't. Barring extreme injury, those two teams should play finals. And then look at the Carlton situation. There's a few people out there that still want to see Carlton against more, I guess, elite opposition. They can only really play the teams that are in front of them right now, and they are passing these these jobs with flying colours. They play Gold Coast this week. I'm pretty sure it's up at Carrara. And, yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting game. That's a potential banana peel game for the Blues. Uh, if they are probably going to have to put some work into, into Took Miller, I think. Because uh, otherwise he's just going to run rampant. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. They're just going to be running after him all game. Uh, I think that that's definitely a consideration. We're, we're hearing a lot about the tagger and how it's not really in the game plan for or in the in the philosophy of a lot of coaches. You know, Luke Beveridge comes to mind. But um, it's got its place. And whether it's a true tagger or just a, a guy who, who minds a, a person, maybe not even minds them, they just uh, are paying more attention to the opposition's best player. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with this. It, that doesn't mean you're negating or you're playing a, a real, um, I guess, um, dour approach to the game where you're trying not to lose and you're trying to stop them from winning rather than winning the game yourself. That doesn't. That's not the case at all. You know, I, I just think it's it's a case of identifying that there is a player on the other side who can do a lot of damage, and you're trying to, you know, nullify that a bit. So. I mean, is is Took Miller taggable? That's the other question. But you know, this is the question that they've got to, you know, they've got to answer this, and they've got to say, is it worth just limiting his his impact to about I don't know seventy five percent of what it usually is, or, or maybe seventy five percent is too much, maybe eighty percent. And what can that that what can that do for us? But it's going that'll be an interesting game. I, I definitely think that. Gold Coast will, will give it a run. I'd say the Blues are definitely starting favourites, obviously, but um, that's going to be an interesting one. Um, we look at a few of these other ones. The Hawks play the Saints. That's an interesting one too. You've got two teams that are, well, they're, they're playing good footy. They've started very well. Um, and I believe that was at, it's going to be the MCG, I think. Um, yeah, look at, uh, uh these are coin flip games at, the, at this stage, but it's great to see. Very, very good to see. We've got some of these teams that didn't play finals last year, but they are up and about, and there's no reason why they can't keep it up. We've got a couple more, and then we'll finish up. Um, just wanted to quickly mention the marking infringement rules at the moment. Uh, very trigger happy at the moment. The ump seemed to be. Uh, was at the Melbourne and Essendon game on Friday night, and it did seem to be a lot of free kicks paid for marking infringements. I can't remember what the exact number was, but it felt like there were a few either way. 
I am going to go nuclear on this one. I am not a fan of the marking infringement rules. I actually don't see the point in them at all, to be honest. Um, the only real thing I can see it benefiting is something like tunneling. Um, but yeah, that tunneling, pushouts, obviously not tackling someone while they're in midair. Uh, but guess what? There are already free kicks for all of these actions. Pushing the back, holding the man. Uh, you know, these things are already existing in the game right now. You know, pushouts used to always be a push to the back. Like, I don't know. I mean, whether it's more defined for players that do not have the ball and they're trying, they're attempting to get the ball, I don't know. I don't, but I don't think they needed to create a whole different rule for this. Uh, uh, chopping the arms is a rule that I have never understood in the game of AFL football. I just don't quite see why the forward needed to be favoured with the chopping the arms rule. You've got big key forwards who do massive pre-seasons in the gym, bulking up. That they are, str- you know, you could punch their arms in a contest and they're still going to be too strong. They're still going to mark in front of the eyes most of the time. But for some reason, we needed to add a, you know, a basketball-like hand-checking foul rule, whatever it is, and just, just give another reason for the game to get a whistle and a stop in the game and a free kick. I just... <laughs> Another reason, to, it's just like I said, It's I, I do like basketball, but it's just become like basketball where there's just whistles every two seconds and, you know, you're always wondering what the free kick's for. Um, half the time you'll be at the game and you look up the scoreboard and they, the scoreboard doesn't even get it right. <laughs> it says that was a marking infringement for chopping the arms when it was actually tunnelling or it was a push-out or, or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't I don't get it if... I understand some people might have some very good explanations for that. And if you do have some explanations for that, make sure you hit us up. We've actually got a new email address. It's footytime22 at gmail.com. Very keen to hear your thoughts on this. Any umpires out there who have any thoughts on that, I'd really like to hear from you too. But as a fan, I'm all for protection in the game. I think a lot of the head high contact rules that have come in, uh, they were necessary. But I have never understood the marking infringement rule and uh, to a more specific extent the chopping the arms rule i just don't i don't get it i don't see why it was brought in and i don't understand why it stayed in for so long i think it's been about 15 years now uh if it's about keeping scoring up great awesome that's fantastic uh, <laughs> you know I, I would like to see the the players the stars of the game performing their ability like their abilities and execution. Our game should be about that. It should be about seeing the best players execute their abilities, not seeing the scoreboard get a lot of help from the rules committee. I, I don't know. Look, I'm going a bit off track here at the moment. But I just think, yeah, that's a strange one. And we're seeing a lot of these. We're seeing a lot at the moment. And as I said before, uh, I'll sometimes occasionally be watching footy with some older fans of the game. And they just can't keep up with it anymore. They're just—they're always watching the game, seeing a whistle, a free kick given, and they're always just turning around to me and saying, "What was that for? I don't even know what the free kick was for." What was—it's just happening more than ever right now. So, I don't know what it means for that. 
it's probably going to stay. I've never heard anything about it being dropped, but uh, I yeah, just don't believe that it's uh, all that necessary, apart from some very um, rare circumstances. Last but not least, Dan wanted to get this one on. Uh, it is, what is it about AFL football that makes people think that this is the best sport in the world? It's a great question. It's a great question. Cast your mind back to Friday night, the showdown. Adelaide, down and out, about 20-odd points down, I think, with 10 minutes to go. They come storming back. Uh, I believe it was McKenzie taking that relieving mark with one minute to go. You think this game is iced. You think it's over. Adelaide get a free kick. Dawson kicks truly. Adelaide win. And what was seemed to be an unwinnable game. That right there, that game in Adelaide is why this sport is the best sport in the world. It's, it's about <laughs> you. What other sport can a team be so down and out by a margin that seems insurmountable? you know, four or five goals and just rally back to win when it really seems dead and buried. There's – and look, I know comebacks happen in other sports too. I, I, I'm a big fan of soccer, NFL. It does happen, but it doesn't happen the way it does in AFL. It doesn't happen in such a dramatic fashion and so quickly. I mean, you, like – you look at the John Collingwood game as well. I mean, uh, three quarter time, thirty points down. It's you know, I know, I know some Geelong fans that left the stadium. It's just like half an hour later, they're singing the song. This isn't something that happens once in a lifetime either in, in this sport. It can happen several times a year. Uh, and what other sport has anything like the after the siren shot to win a game? There's no other sport that has anything like that. And we saw that this weekend too. Uh, like, there's so many just beautiful things about this sport that are so uniquely ours. And you don't see those in other sports. There's also things like there's nothing like the ground size in other sports. There's not another sport that has 18 players on the field. Uh, it's just so unique and... and <laughs> yeah, I, I don't just I don't know what else to say. There's, it's always something happening in AFL footy. It's not the kind of sport that needs to be propped up by music at the stadium or anything like that. Although there is a lot of that happening at the moment uh, between goals and stuff. But yeah, it's it, it's that's the reason why it is the best sport in the world because you, you've just got a sport that you can never take your eyes off for a second. I mean, look at the grand final. I mean, if you went out for a smoke when Bontempelli kicked this <laughs> goal to put the dogs 19 points up, um, yeah, you might have missed a fair bit if you were out for the rest of the quarter. <laughs> so, yeah, like, it's the only sport where something like that can happen, in my opinion. Um, it's got the best athletes, I think, or it would have to be close to the best athletes. You've got a uh, very, you know, strong-bodied, Athletes who, who can run all day. I mean, 
you've got to have a good combination of speed and strength. It's not an easy pair to find. But yeah, those are the things I think that makes this the greatest sport in the world. And again, I'd really like to know what you guys think. Hit us up, footytime22 at gmail.com. What makes our sport the greatest? What makes it unique? Very keen to hear what you guys think. All right, well, that's it for footy time this week. Round three is done. Look forward to round four. Um, Yeah, have a good week and hopefully your team wins round four. Catch you later.